Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday night, July 19th, 2018. The AL All-Star Game break is over as the Chicago White Sox will be heading west to kick off their schedule again, traveling to Seattle before they visit Anaheim. We'll preview that series, but there's a lot to discuss around Major League Baseball. We're going to be chiming in on on Major League Baseball's quote-unquote marketing problem with Mike Trout, Josh Hader's Twitter fiasco, and we'll also start with the show with the two big trades, Manny Machado to Hollywood and Brad Hand to Cleveland for Francisco Meja. Jim Margulis is making his way to Seattle for the White Sox Mariners series. So filling in for Jim on this edition of Sox Machine Live is the host of the Duck Snort podcast. And he also helps us out with the Sox Machine White Sox wake up call. It's Greg Nix. And good evening, Greg. Thanks for pinch hitting for Jim. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I hope I do a better job than uh, White Sox pinch pinch hitters. (laughs) I don't know. How are White Sox pinch hitters do? They don't do it often. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm just assuming they're bad just because everything else is bad. So why would that be good? But uh, <laughs> who knows? Maybe they're surprising. I don't know. We have a lot to cover this evening. And let's start with the biggest news around Major League Baseball, starting with the worst kept secret of the All-Star break. Manny Machado is heading to Los Angeles to join the Dodgers as the Baltimore Orioles will receive five prospects from the Dodgers to complete the deal. 
Greg, what are your initial thoughts about the Dodgers acquiring Manny Machado? Um, I guess I'm not surprised. This, you know, if anybody has the uh, the ammunition to get Manny Machado, it was the Dodgers. They have a great farm system and a loaded major league roster. Uh, he fits the hole that Corey Seager's injury left pretty perfectly. Um, the Dodgers have sort of been on the upswing, getting Kershaw back and playing a lot better lately. Uh, but they still did sort of, they were basically running Logan Forsyth out every day who has been not been playing well. And so uh, Manny Machado sort of solidifies the lineup one through eight and kind of makes them the favorite in uh, the NL West again. And for a team that is built to win right now and to contend for a World Series title, it seemed like kind of the move that they had to make. Yes, as they're still chasing their first World Series title since 1988, right? When Kirk Gibson took Dennis Eckersley deep, everybody remembers that home run. It's been a while since the Dodgers have won a World Series. So I agree with a lot of the things that you touched on. One of the things I disagree with a lot of national pundits, Greg, is that many believe that with the Dodgers acquiring Manny Machado, that puts them in the lead to sign Manny Machado in the offseason. Do you think the Dodgers would give up on Corey Seager so quickly at shortstop? Uh, Well, I don't think that the signing Manny Machado would indicate giving up on Corey Seager. I think if they signed him, I don't know, maybe Justin Turner would move to second and uh, Manny Machado would slot in at third. I mean, it seems like most teams that are interested in Manny Machado are going to be interested in him as a third baseman um, just because the defensive metrics really don't like him at shortstop. So I think the Dodgers would be uh, no different. I don't know. I mean, they, they seem like maybe a more logical landing spot for Harper than Machado to me, but um, you, they obviously have the budget for it and he's already on the team. So um, I think either way, they were going to be probably a team that looked into him and now they sort of have a, a few month head start on figuring out if he's a guy that they want to invest $300 million into. Does this put the Dodgers ahead of, let's say, the Chicago Cubs to be the favorites in the National League? That's tough. I think the Dodgers have really underwhelmed this year, uh, like kind of across the board. Bellinger is not having as good a year as he did last year. Turner, like they have a lot of room to improve, but I think just with where they are in the standings, it's hard to call them the favorite. Like the the Cubs are a much surer bet even to get to the playoffs at this point. I think both are pretty safe bets, but I think, um, you know, maybe see how they're playing by the end of the season. But I think um, they're, they're pretty tight. I I guess I would call it a tight race right now between those two teams for best in the National League. Now, you live out in Los Angeles. Is this going to become Manny Wood 2.0, where the city went crazy for Manny Ramirez back in 2008? It could. I think it depends how well Machado plays, obviously. I mean, that was the big thing about Manny Wood when Ramirez got acquired was he like proceeded to hit 400 for the rest of the year, basically like he was pretty dominant player. Um, So if Manny Machado plays that well, definitely, obviously there's a big Hispanic population out here um, that 
you know, has seen Puig become a big star and uh, way, way before that, Fernando Valenzuela become a big star. So he's definitely like a player that, that Dodgers fans would want to invest in. I think it's just a matter of how well does he play and how well does the team play over the next few months. It'll be interesting to see how Manny Machado does play for the Dodgers and if the Dodgers catch on fire again. They do lead in the National League West, but as you mentioned, Greg, it is a four-team race right now in the National League West, and we'll see if this gets the Dodgers going and gets them on a path to get home field advantage for the National League in the postseason. Now, the second big trade occurred today on July 19th, and I think this has an indirect impact on the Chicago White Sox. And the deal is San Diego sending relievers Brad Hand and Adam Simber for top 20 prospect catcher outfielder Francisco Mea to Cleveland. Now, Greg, the Indians, they needed to bolster their bullpen. No doubt. It was horrible and no doubt in my mind it would have costed them in the postseason if they didn't make a move. I think they got the best available reliever in the market and Brad Hand and Adam Simber. You know, he's a nice submarine style pitcher. He throws off right-handers with his delivery. But the Padres getting Francisco Mea, man, this is what I think makes the deal shocking. And it's just another top prospect in the San Diego system. Are you surprised that the Indians traded away their best prospect for relief help. Yeah, I was pretty surprised to see Mejia's name in the deal. I think um, it's a bit of an overpay. It it kind of indicates to me that maybe the Indians were not very high on Mejia sticking at catcher uh, long term. Uh, they like didn't foresee him unseating Jan Gomes. Um, that being said, like. Hand is the pitcher that the Indians needed. It's just surprising to see such a top prospect go for a reliever, albeit one or two relievers, I guess, one under control for another couple of years and one under control for six more years because I think Simber's a rookie. Um, But, yeah, I I guess it's interesting because you can see the Indians filling – the biggest hole on their roster right now, but you can also see them planning for the future and – I think probably this trade indicates they don't anticipate re-signing Andrew Miller um, and potentially not Cody Allen as well. So it seems like they're kind of trying to set up their bullpen for the next couple of years, in which case it makes a little bit more sense that they would give up Mejia, who has a lot of long-term value. Yeah, that's a really good point that you made, that this is not a move that helps Cleveland in 2018. It also could help Cleveland in the upcoming years. As a White Sox fan... I approve of this deal because I think Mejia is going to be a budding star in Major League Baseball, especially with the bat. And we know that the Indians don't need another superstar bat in their lineup when they have (laughs) Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez already. With hand off the market, again, I think this has an indirect impact for the White Sox, and I think in a way it benefits the White Sox. So you have hand off the market. You have Manny Machado off the market. Those were the two biggest trade chips that we know knew of entering into the trade market. And now you have Joaquin Soria, who continues to pitch well enough, Greg, to be traded to a contender. Do you think this will ramp up Soria's market? Yeah, I think Soria was going to have a pretty healthy market regardless. But uh, like you said, Hand is uh, arguably the top pitcher on the market. I mean, it depends, I guess, how you 
feel about Zach Britton coming off injury or if the Mets decide to trade Juris Familia maybe. But, uh, you know, Soria's up there. Uh, and I think with every outing, he's kind of proving that his performance this season is real. And he obviously has a longer track record than a lot of guys out there. So, you know, I don't anticipate still them getting like a top 100 prospect for him, say. But I think I think with the relief market kicking in and with there being kind of a lack of high end relievers, um, especially now that hand is gone, I think that. Soria has more value than, say, Anthony Swarzak last year. Um, you know, maybe he's approaching a, a Tommy Canely isolated kind of value or something like that. Yeah, the quality of return is going to be interesting. I just think the timing of a trade could be a lot sooner than we expected because I thought maybe someone like Joaquin Soria gets traded closer to July 31st. Greg, I would not be shocked if over the weekend we hear that Joaquin Soria has been moved. Just because if teams are not going to wait around and they're going to try to get as many games as possible with their new assets, especially out of the National League, I do not know how teams could just sit around and wait when it's you, you got a really competitive race in each of the divisions and the wild card is going to be one hell of a ride for the rest of the season. I think we could see Joaquin Soria moved in the next week if the market continues to trend like it has in which teams are not going to wait around until the end of the trade deadline uh, to make a move. So it'd be quite interesting to see the timing of Joaquin Soria. Uh, but I also agree with you. You made a really good point that Soria uh, could bring in uh, somebody interesting into the White Sox system. Not exactly sure if a top 100 prospect, but hey, you know, the White Sox didn't give up much to give Joaquin Soria. When he has pitched for the White Sox, he has been very good. And this is the situation that Rick Hahn wanted to be in when he acquired Joaquin Soria in the offseason was to have a flippable app set. So we'll see what kind of return Rick Hahn can get in the upcoming weeks. Now, San Diego. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, it's all right. I I was just going to say, you know, I think that um, as far as like the timeline you're talking about, like I I still don't think probably Soria is most teams top choice. Like he's not going to be somebody that a team brings in and the fan base is going to be satisfied with their trade deadline. You know what I mean? But I think like like you were kind of saying, like he's going to get a better prospect than Jake Peter, who is who they sent out for him and Avilon, basically. Uh and so I think that's a win for the White Sox. And I think, like, uh, I would hope that sort of Ryan Cordell-type interesting prospect is the baseline for what they're acquiring for Soria. San Diego now has 9 to 10 prospects in the top 100, depending on the publication that you're reading. I'll be updating the prospect rankings database over the weekend, but their system is stronger than the White Sox. And I do. I just want to make this comment about as far as the, the Padres. They proved this offseason that they are willing to spend cash, perhaps foolishly, Greg, uh, when they signed Eric Hosmer. <laughs> but they are. They, they proved that they, they're willing to invest in $100-plus million in players. San Diego is beautiful. The ballpark is terrific. They are a young and upcoming team. I'm not saying the Padres are going to become the next Astros, Greg, but right now, if you're comparing the White Sox and Padres rebuild, I think it's hard to say that the White Sox are in better shape than San Diego. I would have to take San Diego's situation over the White Sox situation, especially after the steal they just made. 
Yeah, it's it's a pretty ridiculous system, and unfortunately, part of that is uh, falls on Rick Hahn's shoulders, <laughs> giving them uh, you know a consensus top ten prospect at Tatis. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I think the thing. San Diego is just kind of like one of those teams like Baltimore that you never really have faith that they're going to make the right choice uh, or that they're going to be build something sustainable just because they haven't in so long. You know, there's there's such a sad sack franchise for most of their existence that it is kind of weird to see a team with uh, a system, a farm system that's far and away better than any other one in the major leagues. It kind of reminds me of when the Royals had 10 top 100 prospects and, you know, some of those guys flamed out, but they also drove the team to the world series. So it'll, it'll be kind of interesting to see what San Diego does this off season and how they start to convert that farm system into major league players, which is something that AJ Preller has not done. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the Royals comparison because I think the Padres, with the exception that they have proven that they are willing to spend money, unlike the Royals did, they might be on that path, Greg, just because nobody believed in the Royals until they made it to the World Series. And I think everybody was shocked that they took the Giants to seven games and made it incredibly close. And then in the next season, they just proved that by far and away that they were the best team in the American League and winning the World Series in five games. I wouldn't be shocked if the Padres put together a run like that. And I think... Including uh, involvement from Will Myers and Eric Hosmer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great point. You know, <laughs> Former Royals players. I, the White Sox obviously have a lot of competition with rebuilding. They're not the only team that's rebuilding. But I think if you're comparing the two rebuilds between the Padres and White Sox... I think it's a big benefit for the White Sox that the Los Angeles Dodgers are not in the division because the Dodgers have proven that they can make excellent deals and acquire players like Manny Machado without giving up their top prospects. And they have a deep system and they continue to prove to spend internationally and they can draw the big free agents. San Diego has an uphill climb to make, but at this moment, I just like San Diego's situation a little better than the White Sox situation. We'll see how it plays out in the next couple of years, but I do like the White Sox chances of winning a division before San Diego, just because the Dodgers are much stronger of an organization than the Cleveland Indians. So that's enough of my baseball hot take. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about speaking of hot takes. Uh, let's talk about what happened during the all-star game. And during this break is there the past four days, you know, big storylines and, and baseball's marketing problem is in the spotlight, Greg. Major League Baseball was pestered with questions and comments during the All-Star break about why are ratings not better? Why don't more people in the world recognize the best player in the sport, Mike Trout? And Major League Baseball has said that they've tried with Mike Trout, and Trout could do more as far as advertising. I think the only national campaign I know of Mike Trout's was Subway. Compare that to Bryce Harper. I I see Bryce Harper all the time with T-Mobile spots. The Angels recently responded to Major League Baseball's critique of Mike Trout doing more ads by defending Trout That's a, in saying that he does a lot of promoting and marketing, but he's really not interested in lifting his own brand. He's more of a team player, and he puts others first, and that's perfectly fine. 
I think that baseball does have a marketing problem, Greg, but it's not Mike Trout. Do you think Trout has to do more commercials and advertising to help Major League Baseball's brand? I I have to say no, just because, well, a few reasons, I guess. I mean, one, I think the biggest reason that Mike Trout isn't more well-known is because the Angels haven't been very good. If the Angels were in the playoffs every year, a lot more people would know about Mike Trout if he was doing the amazing things that he does on a bigger stage. I mean, he's not even on the biggest stage in his own geographical area, right? So as good of a player as he is, he's not getting the platform to feature himself necessarily. He's also just, he kind of seems like a boring guy and not necessarily, (laughs) (laughs) not necessarily like boring in a bad way, but just like kind of a, a simple guy. He likes, you know, the Eagles. He likes playing Fortnite probably like I don't know that you can he has a personality that you can uh, necessarily hang much on like it sort of reminds me I guess of like I, I was gonna say Peyton Manning but Peyton Manning found a way to make that boringness uh, like marketable and I guess that's what Mike Trout would have to do so I guess more like Eli Manning where he's just kind of like uh, pretty steadfast and straightforward. And so I don't know how you turn that guy into a star, especially when, you know, his team's not very good. I think baseball is met using the NBA as a yardstick for, or a measuring stick for like how, how popular are our players and mm-hmm. the baseball players are at an inherent disadvantage because it's not, uh, as an individual, a sport. Um, it's not, as popular a sport in general. So that's going to prohibit individual players from busting through that. Um, And so I just think like, I think it's the wrong measuring stick to compare Mike Trout to LeBron James or Steph Curry, because he's never going to be that guy for a bunch of different reasons. So I think baseball needs to be looking at, well, how can, how can we maximize the things that are unique and likable about baseball in general and about Mike, Mike Trout in particular to uh, make the game more popular, not try to replicate what the NBA or the NFL or whatever is doing. Yeah, because one player in baseball, as White Sox fans know, uh, can't carry a team into the postseason, uh, despite the White Sox having Chris Sale and Jose Gatana. I mean, not even five good players can take you into the postseason. You, you need to have like 11 to 12 good players to make it into the playoffs where in the NBA, you could have LeBron James literally carry a team <laughs> to the NBA Finals. They get swept, but they're there. They they won the Easter Conference, and you know in, in basketball, you can have one guy provide a lot of success for the team, and that makes it a lot easier to market. I think what also makes it easier for the NBA is that they don't have as many restrictions on sharing videos or making gifts and not having these stupid blackout restrictions. I think that is the number one marketing issue for major league baseball is that it's expensive for a fan to watch baseball games. Cause you have to have a cable package or you have to buy the MLB uh, TV package uh, before the game. And, and that's not exactly cheap as far as that package before the season begins. 
And, you know, for those that are willing to spend the money, uh, some fans can't even have either because they live in a blackout area like Kenosha, Wisconsin, where you can't stream the White Sox games on MLB.tv because you're in a blackout restriction and none of the cable providers in the area are going to sell you a package to be able to watch NBC Sports Chicago so you can't watch the White Sox on cable and you can't watch them online. Uh, is Major League Baseball going to address that? I don't think so because the owners are making and signing billion-dollar TV deals now. So I think this is a much to do about nothing because I think nothing is going to really change. I just think that Rob Manfred this week did him no favors, Greg, and I worry about Manfred's ideas on try to, quote-unquote, improve the game of baseball on the field uh, and what he suggests. I, I have a feeling that he's really going to push in the offseason, banning shifts and limiting how many pitchers are in a game. Yeah, I mean, I think I I have a lot of issues with what Rob Manfred does in general terms. Um, I just, yeah, I'm not really sure what he wants the league to be. You know, it, it seems in a lot of ways that you measure it, baseball has never been more successful or more popular, you know? So I feel like maybe that should stand alone in, in the way that they measure baseball success, not in, you know, comparison to other sports or in, uh, how many commercials is Mike Trout in or anything like that. I, it just seems counterproductive to me. He's not listening to the right people. He's, I think clearly not listening to baseball fans. I think he's listening to basketball and football fans more when they say, these are the reasons why I don't watch baseball. I, I think he needs to focus on making baseball fans happy and, and draw your market attention to them. Others will follow suit eventually when they realize that the game is fun to watch and can be interesting and fun to follow along for a 162-game season. All right, so yep. that's enough uh, of a rattling Manfred, at least from my perspective. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I mean, you make a really good point about the blackouts, too. Like, if they want Mike Trout to be a star, well, guess what? I live in Los Angeles. I can't watch Mike Trout on MLB yeah, TV. How stupid is that? Yeah, so uh, there's a lot of it's, – it's just baseball getting in its own way. You know, it's Rob Manfred getting in its own way, shooting himself in the foot, and then talking about how he's shooting himself in the foot kind of um, – <laughs> It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I don't think it was a good week for Rob Manfred. Any way that you cut it. And this all-star game, it was really exciting. 10 home runs were hit. It went into extra innings. Scooter Gannett had a big home run in the ninth inning to tie it. And then Alex Bregman and George Springer went back to back in the tent to give the American League the win. Mike Trout hit a home run in that game. Aaron Judge hit a home run. But we're not talking about that. What we're talking about now after the All-Star game, Greg, is Josh Hader's tweets from seven years ago. The things that Hader tweeted are absolutely awful. I don't think I would like 17-year-old Josh Hader very much based on what he was tweeting about seven years ago. He's 24 now, and maybe things have changed. Maybe Hader has matured and he doesn't drop the N-word or make homophobic jokes because now he knows that they are wrong and baseball is going to have him go through sensitivity training but they will not suspend him for what he tweeted seven years ago is that the right call greg 
I don't know. It's really tough. I mean, so, yeah, I agree with you. Josh Hader, especially 17-year-old Josh Hader, seems like a pretty repugnant dude. Um, And, I, yeah, if I went to high school with somebody who did that, I wouldn't excuse it then, and I wouldn't excuse it 24 like seven years later as well, he's 24 now he's grown out of it. You know what I mean? Like that is an age in which you should know better. Um, that being said, I think from MLB's perspective, without it being something criminal necessarily, how do you punish somebody for something they did before they were an employee of your organization and where, where does that, slippery slope start and end so i can see i guess i can see why they didn't suspend him i think if maybe i was the brewers i would take additional action uh but i yeah i i really don't know whether a suspension's appropriate in that case um kind of just for I guess I'm glad I'm not the one making that decision, you know, like as reprehensible as reprehensible as everything he tweeted was. And it was truly like it was crazy. The number of tweets that came out, I feel like every article that I read about it had a different horrible tweet about a different uh, subgroup of humanity. Um, I just don't know what uh, if there is any punishment that fits that crime that MLB can levy. I'm just amazed that nobody in his family or his agent or the Milwaukee Brewers knew about these tweets. They should like, yeah, I find that to be amazing. I mean, this happens all the time when guys get drafted in the NBA, uh, when they get drafted in the NFL, uh, even Major League Baseball as well. I, you know, agents or quote unquote advisors. They have to do a better job with this stuff. They got to do a better job of cleaning up as far as the tweets uh, I, I just think that it does bring an ugly side of haters' personality into the spotlight. I think everybody remembers the John Rocker Sports Illustrated column and how horrible Rocker came out of that column and, and what his beliefs were. And everybody changed their perspective and what they thought of the man. Uh, not just this anonymous Atlanta Braves closer who was really good at his job. Now here comes this jerk out of the bullpen for the Braves, right? And now nobody likes him. So I'm curious on how fans are going to treat Josh Hader moving forward. Uh, I look back at my tweets from 2011, and uh, man, did I have some hot takes about the NFL and college football, Greg? Uh, (laughs) But you know, I I think it's... Uh, Well, if that's as bad as it gets, you're (laughs) significantly ahead of Josh Hader in terms of embarrassing tweets. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I don't know how the I don't know how his team is going to react. I don't know how fans are going to react, or I don't know how either group should react, uh, especially not knowing him in any context as a person besides this. Like, I had no idea what his clubhouse reputation was or anything, except that you know it ruins one of the better stories of the season for me, which is he was an incredible reliever and and still is who uh you know could have theoretically contended for the Cy Young award and so it's just uh yeah it's pretty gross (laughs) I'm certainly not going to be rooting for him after this I think if he comes away from sensitivity training learning something and he makes a sincere apology afterwards where he just admits that yeah this is how I felt and this is 
what I thought of the world and thought of these groups of people seven years ago, I understand that's very wrong. I'm going to work at it to make things right. I think fans can accept that and forgive him in a couple of years. Understanding how Wisconsinites act, uh, they were very quick to forgive Ryan Braun, even though Ryan Braun straight up lied to everybody and he cheated with PEDs. Uh, it didn't take very long for Brewers fans to forgive Ryan Braun. I don't think it's going to take very long for Brewers fans to forgive Josh Hader. So I think that he's still going to be quite loved in Milwaukee. Uh, be interesting to see how the rest of the nation of baseball uh, approaches Josh Hader. I hope that he does take the sensitivity training uh, seriously. And I think I hope that he... The lesson to be learned from this for Josh Hader is, man, don't say stupid stuff on Twitter because it can cost you in sponsorships and stuff, right? I, I think he needs to understand that what you tweeted out is incredibly hurtful and it hurts people to read the stuff that you tweeted out. That yeah, I, I mean, I would say you should learn from. Yeah, I think hope that's the more important lesson than losing sponsorships or anything is like that, especially as somebody who's high profile now. But for anybody is is that's a hurtful thing to say. And uh, Kevin Pillar comes to mind uh, a couple of years ago. Yep. He used a gay slur on the field, I believe, uh, maybe yep. towards an umpire. Um, and there was a. a a great athletic article recently about how Pilar has sort of um, taken that and he did sensitivity training and he's uh, working with LGBT youth in Toronto um, through an organization that Billy Bean is connected to, not the athletics GM, but the uh, former pitcher who is, was one of the first pro athletes to come out as gay. Uh, And I, I think that's the best case scenario is, is he takes from it like, uh, Pilar seems to have and and does something good for the community in Milwaukee with it. And it sounds like Billy Bean will be working with Josh Hader as well through the sensitivity training. So it'll, it'll be an interesting storyline to follow. Unfortunately, it overshadows what I thought was a very entertaining all-star game. Uh, oh, yeah, just, great game. Yeah, it was a great game. The home run derby was fantastic as well. Uh, just... Not a good week for Major League Baseball. You put it perfectly, Greg. Major League Baseball continues to find a way to get in its own way. And if they just took a step back, I think there's nothing they could do about Josh Hader uh, as far as what happened and that reaction to that. Um, But the spat publicly with the Angels and Mike Trout, maybe spat's too harsh of a word, but I don't know. It's just a... Just not a very good four days for Major League Baseball, despite having a very dramatic home run derby that was a blast to watch and also a very entertaining all-star game. But now games are kicking off again throughout Major League Baseball. Before we preview the upcoming White Sox Mariners series, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, 
planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's the only app that I use to buy Chicago White Sox tickets because I love using SeatGeek's deal score. makes it really easy to find the best seats at guaranteed rate field to get the most bane for my buck. Just recently used SeatGeek to purchase four tickets for August 11th, which it's going to be Jim Tomey's Hall of Fame Appreciation Day, and they're going to have a Jim Tomey bobblehead. So if you're looking for a reason to buy White Sox tickets, I don't think you can think of a better reason than to go to Jim Tomey Appreciation Day on August 11th, and make sure you use SeatGeek to purchase those tickets, because if you haven't used SeatGeek before, use our promo code SOXMACHINE to save $20 off on your first purchase on SeatGeek.com or SeatGeek the app. Now it's time to preview the first series after the All-Star break as the Chicago White Sox will be heading to Seattle to face the Mariners, who are 58-39 and on the season. They're five games back of the Houston Astros in the American League West. They're three games ahead of the Oakland Athletics for the last wildcard spot. If you listen to Monday's episode, both Jim and I believe that the Oakland Athletics will catch the Seattle Mariners because Seattle, despite being 19 games above 500, Greg, they have a run differential of negative two. How in the world are they 19 games above 500? And again, for Monday's show, we talked about it. One run games. Their record is incredibly insane on how well they play when the game is tight. And your probable pitchers for this series starting on Friday. It'll be James Shields for the White Sox against Wade LeBlanc of the Mariners. On Saturday, it's Dylan Covey against Felix Hernandez. And on Sunday, it is Ronaldo Lopez against Marco Gonzalez. And Greg, two left-handed pitchers. For Seattle means that we'll see Yohan Mikata most likely bat in the lower half of the lineup. Tim Anderson leading off. We get back into the grind. What are you hoping to see from the White Sox this series in Seattle? I guess just I competitive baseball. Um, something very far from the Astros series that we saw uh, just before the All-Star break of, uh, you know, just not really looking like a major league team when faced with a good team. Um, the, the Seattle Mariners aren't as good as the Astros, but they are a good team in spite of the run differential. You know, I think the Sox are catching them in a good time. It kind of seems like they they started, started sort of middling and then went on uh, an extremely hot streak for a month and have now kind of fallen back uh, to earth. So I guess it's, it's a good time to catch them on sort of a road trip that has generally been tough for the White Sox going to the West Coast. So, you know, I'd like to see Moncada uh, pick up where he left off before the all-star break when it was hitting very well and even hit a homer hitting right-handed against a lefty. Um, I'd like to see Jose Abreu pick it up a little bit with a couple days off, even though he had to travel to the all-star game. Um, I'd like to see Kobe and Lopez. I'd like to see Kobe at least get through five innings and uh, Lopez and Shields turn in quality starts. And uh, I think if the White Sox do that uh, and just show up and look like a decent baseball team not one of the worst in the league that the series will be a success well hopefully they can win one out of three i don't know seattle 
has been so lucky this year. I'm expecting to sweep by the Mariners in the series. It'll be interesting to see how things play out. Tomorrow, we're going to hear an official move by the White Sox because they made a transaction by demoting Charlie Tilson to Charlotte to make way, which I think most of us assume is going to be Nicky Domonico as he's no longer with the Charlotte Knights. And again, that's what's going to be assumed to be the official move on Friday, but we're not exactly sure on what the move is going to be. Uh, but Greg, it sounds like Nicky Domonico is close to rejoining the White Sox either way. What do you need to see from Domonico in the remaining 67 games to feel a little bit more confident with his future with the White Sox? Well, I, I think you and Jim have talked about it on the podcast, but he's just got to hit for a little bit more power. Um, I do think I was looking at his batted ball stats, and he actually this year has sort of hit the ball harder than he did last year. Um, he was kind of lucky last year and has been pretty unlucky this year. So if he can give good at bats like he was in the beginning of the year, but get a little bit luckier with balls in play and uh, just turn on things a little bit more, uh, pull the ball a little bit harder. I think I'll feel good about him in the way that I did coming into the year, which is not necessarily a future star or even a future starter, but uh, somebody who could have a place on a major league team as a bench bat, um, sort of four corners guy, maybe, uh, or three corners if he can't hang at third. But yeah, I think uh, I, I, I just like to see at the, at the bare minimum, I think he'll have better at bats than a lot of the outfielders we've seen this year. You know, uh, Adam Angle, Charlie Tilson, Trace Thompson, um, and probably Polka as well, just in terms of being in control of the bat. Uh, so this next step for him is just having some of those balls fall in and, and hit the ball a little bit harder and uh, look better than Daniel Polka in the outfield. Which isn't tough, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you would hope not. Um, and yet there were games where Charlie Tilson looked worse than Daniel Polka in the outfield. So I'm not going to count any chickens, you know? Well, very true. <laughs> very true. It'll be interested to see what the White Sox officially say. And in Nicky Delmonico will be joining the White Sox in Seattle on how they use him uh, and what facet and how quickly we'll see Nicky Delmonico in the White Sox lineup. That will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Greg, thank you again, man, so much for filling in for Jim. This was an absolute blast. Yeah, absolutely. I had a great time. Make sure to listen to the Duck Snort podcast and follow Greg on Twitter. He's at Greg Nick's Human, not at Greg Nick's Robot. Totally different people. <laughs> he is alive. He is not a bot. Well, yeah, one of us is a human and the other one is not a person at all so you know <laughs> should be easy to keep straight yes and of course listen to greg as he covers the white Sox weekly for SoxMachine.com. for a monday show we'll be joined by joe ostrowski of 670 the score to play over unders for the post all-star break games you can make your picks on SoxMachine.com later thursday evening friday morning we'll be sharing those results on monday's show if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Greg Nix, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. 
When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X5 gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.